Hey, well, we're excited today and I'm going fast because I have a lot I want to get through. We are starting a journey through the book of Acts and we're going to take the next uh, 10 to 12 weeks, give or take, to work our way through the book of Acts. Now, there is no way we're going to get through the entire book of Acts in the 10 to 12 weeks, but wherever we finish, we're going to pick back up next year and continue our way through the book of Acts. It's going to be an exciting, exciting time. Amen. So let's open our Bibles very quickly to the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 1. And this is what it says. I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and began to teach until he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was Alive, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They then gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After, uh, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go to heaven. Amen. We're going to run through this book of Acts, and we're not going to study it like we're at, uh, at, at a theology school. We're going to study it like the church of Jesus Christ who are living today, who live regular, everyday lives. And as we unpack this book, there's going to be a whole lot of historical things we learn. There's going to be a whole lot of practical things that we can understand. There's going to be a bunch of theology. It's going to be a big mix of all of this because the book of Acts is an exciting book. If you ever thought Christianity was boring, you just need to read the book of Acts with eyes that says this could be your life. In fact, I believe it's one of the most practical books for Christian living that we have. And so very quickly, I want to give us a kind of overview of what's happening here in the book of Acts. It's, the, the, the book of Acts was written by a man called Luke. Now, contrary to confused Christians, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples. 
You just assume Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're all the disciples. No, Luke was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Luke was a physician. Luke was a doctor. Okay, a lot of people suggest that maybe Christianity is just for stupid poor people. Well, we see here that the evangelist Luke was not stupid nor poor because anybody know a poor doctor? Okay. Definitely not these days, okay? Uh, and so Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Uh, Luke was someone who loved details. Uh, Luke was, uh, although we only hear about Luke around three times throughout Scripture, we understand through those times that Luke was a very loyal companion, a very loyal friend to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul even addresses it that in this season, everybody else had abandoned him except Luke has stuck it out with me through thick or thin. Paul often refers to the people that are ashamed of his chains. Paul was the kind of person that preached the gospel. And when he preached the gospel, it didn't always go well. Because when you preach the truth of the gospel, not everybody's going to like what we say. And there are many who were ashamed of the persecution that came when Paul preached the truth of the gospel. they like, oh, I love Paul, but I don't want to be associated with Paul. Now, Luke was not one of those people, okay? So Luke was the writer of the book of Acts, but Luke was also the writer of the gospel of Luke. Um, Luke and Acts are basically two portions of the same book. Most theologians call it Luke-Acts because it's kind of like part one and it's like Part two, you would see if you read the book of Luke's, the intro, he addresses this book to a man called Theophilus. When it comes to the book of Acts, we read right at the beginning, he says, Oh, Theophilus, how I wrote to you in my former book. And so something interesting about Luke is that although he wasn't one of the 12 disciples or apostles, uh, Luke wrote roughly 20, 27% of the entire New Testament. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the books, but out of sheer content, out of sheer size of letters, Luke wrote 27% of the New Testament and in fact was involved in almost all of the New Testament because not only did he write 27% of the New Testament, he hung out with Paul and was around while Paul was writing his New Testament epistles. And so the amazing thing here is that Luke is this author. He was the kind of person that loved details, and he went out searching for truth, speaking to eyewitnesses. And in the book of Acts, you see that he writes in the first book, uh, the first portion of the book of Acts, about things that were happening. And you'll see in the back of the book of Acts that he begins to use words like we, which shows us that he was hanging out with Paul as he was on his journey. So that is the author, Luke. Anybody in here called Luke? No Lukes. Anybody having a child called Luke? All right. We need some Lukes in this church, somebody. We need some smart people. We don't want all just stupid Christians. We need some Lukes. Not saying that you're stupid Christians. That's something Dan would say, not me. All right. Okay. Uh, and so as we look at the book of Acts, um, the book of Acts overview here we go the book of acts is, a, is 28 chapters and the book of acts roughly covers about 30 years of the ministry of the apostles so from luke's writings from the book of luke 
all the way to the end of the book of Acts, he roughly covers about 60 years of the ministry of early Christianity. The book of Acts is commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles because it's the only book that directly gives the historical record of what the apostles were doing. However, it's important to note that rather than being called the Acts of the Apostles, the book would better be called the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The, the book of Acts uh, is, is a book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the early Christians. And what we would see if we read the entire book of Acts is that we would see uh, from chapters 1 to 12, it essentially is talking about how the Holy Spirit used the apostle Peter to preach the good news of the gospel to the, uh, to the Jewish people. Okay, and then from Acts chapter 13 all the way to 28, it essentially speaks of how the Holy Spirit used the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it's everybody in here unless you are a Jew. If you are a Jew, you are not a Gentile, but I am as Gentile as they come. Okay, I'm from the island of Australia, most likely my my lineage is that my great-great-great-grandfather, somebody was probably a bread thief who got put on a boat, sent to the prison called Australia, and then eventually got out. And here I am. My inheritance is that of a thief probably. Who's thankful that Jesus cut the bloodline now and born not of the will of a man, by the will of the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. I'm not a thief. I'm a son. Come on, somebody say amen. All right. The overarching theme essentially of the book of Acts is that God sent His great Holy Spirit to move not just on a a couple of faithful people, but upon all those who would believe that they would be a witness of who Jesus is to the entire world. The Bible from front to back, including the Acts of the Apostles, is all about Jesus. Jesus is the centerpiece of our salvation. The Holy Spirit, we're going to learn a lot here, comes upon His people to empower us to be witnesses, not of our own good doing, not of how good our church is, not of how good we can be, but to be a witness of who Jesus is. Somebody say, it's all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, before he, he, Jesus died and he rose again. And before he went to heaven, he sat with his disciples in the book of Matthew. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, making disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I taught you. And bap, my daughter calls it baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He said, go and tell the world all about me. In the book of Mark, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, and those who believe will be saved, 
And those who do not believe will not be saved. And he says, go and these signs will follow them who believe. They will heal the sick. They will drive out demons. They will speak in other tongues. They will handle snakes and they will not hurt them. And they can drink poison and they will be fine. Now, Pastor Aaron, go and get the poison. We're going to see who believes. No? That's what cults do, right? We are not a cult. Okay? But this was Jesus saying, this is the greatest mission. Jesus saying, I am the greatest mission. And it leads us from the, 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 uh, the Gospels to the book of Acts. The Gospels is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke. And he leads us to this place of finishing the book of Luke, which gets us to the very beginning of the book of Acts, where we read in Acts chapter 1, verses 1. It says, in my former book, speaking of the book of Luke, Theophilus, that's our friend Theophilus. The theologians have no idea who Theophilus was. A lot of people study it. Some suggest it, Theophilus means lover of God. Some think it might be a generic name for generic Christians. Others think it's an actual person, but it is highly debated and very unsubstantial answers, but we know that Paul was writing to someone or a group of people who he decided to refer to as Theophilus. He said, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all, uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the, day he was until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the Apostles. The apostles are the leaders that Jesus chose to launch the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the day of the church. The apostles were his 12 chosen people. So Luke refers back to his former book, the book of Luke. Both the, both the gospel of Luke and Acts were addressed, we said this, to a man called Theophilus. And then this is where I want to start unpacking for a little bit, is Luke reminds Theophilus that in the book of Luke, he said, uh, he said, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and began to teach. I want us to look at this phrase, what Jesus began. The, the notion that Luke says, I wrote about what Jesus began to do, implies that what he has, was doing is not yet finished. And so we have to understand this. Of course, Jesus finished the work unto salvation upon the cross of Calvary. This is not the finished work we're talking about. Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins so that we could be saved from the wrath that is to come. Jesus finished the work for salvation upon the cross so that you don't have to do anything but believe and receive the good news of salvation. But then Luke says, I'm telling you that Jesus began to do, implying that we still have work to do. And so he's telling Theophilus that there's still work to be done. And friends, can I tell you, that work is not over because that work, you're going to see later on, is that we would be a witness to the world about Jesus. And who knows, the United States of America needs somebody to witness to them, Jesus. I mean, he is the answer. He really is the answer to the world's problems, not in the way you might think, but he's the answer to somebody's soul. 
And so he says, he implies that I taught you what Jesus began to do, and it implies that there's more work to be done, that that was the beginning, and now there's something else that we need to do. It, it goes through, uh, and he says, what Jesus began uh, to 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 do and to teach. I wrote uh, this book that I was reading, wrote it so perfectly. It says, this says, in the Gospels, the Son of Man offered his life. In the book of Acts, the Son of God offers his power. In the Gospels, we see the original seeds of Christianity. In Acts, we see the continual growth of the church. The Gospel tells us of Christ crucified and risen. Acts speaks of Christ ascended and exalted. The gospel models the Christian life as lived by the perfect man, but Acts models it lived out by imperfect men. The gospels was all about Jesus' life, showing us what it looks like to live the perfect Christian life, and the book of Acts is what it looks like for us to live as imperfect men who are yielding and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, in my former book, I began to tell you all about the things that Jesus did, I mean, that, all the things that he did and the things that he taught. This speaks of Jesus' words and his works. Uh, James, he's the Lord's brother, he says that some say I have faith. And then James replies, he goes, but I will show you my faith by my works. Now, the amazing thing about Christianity is that we're not saved by works. We are saved by grace to do good works. Lazy Christians just want a ticket to heaven. Real Christians realize they can't get a ticket to heaven without Jesus. But once they put their life in his hands, he empowers us by the Spirit to go and do good works, the Bible says, which he created beforehand for us to do. And so we don't want to be the kind of Christians that to say things because talk can be cheap. We want to be the kind of Christians that do good things as well. But what I want us to see here is that it's, it, it says that, um, that, that let, let me say this, in the Gospels, most people didn't have a problem with what Jesus did. Most people weren't like, I can't believe he's healing sick people. I can't believe that Jesus is out there stealing young boys' food and multiplying it supernaturally to feed over 5,000 people. Most people didn't have a problem that Jesus loved to hang out with children, that he was a carer for the orphans and the widows. People didn't have a problem with what Jesus did, but they had a huge problem with what Jesus said. Because it's not just his works. People love the idea of good works, but Jesus made some pretty outrageous statements. And that's what got the mob real angry when he would say things like, I am the son of God. Or he would tell people, I have authority to forgive people's sins. Or when Jesus would give lists of things that if people continue to live in this kind of lifestyle, that they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus did good things that people couldn't deny, but he said in crazy things that people were very, very offended by. The reason 
this is important is because Jesus wasn't crucified for what he did. He was crucified for the blasphemy that he said. It wasn't Jesus' kind, loving, compassionate works that got him crucified. It was the things that he said about who he was and the standard of holiness that applies. It's funny how in today's world it's the same kind of thing. That most people, if they really look closely, wouldn't have a problem with what Christians do. Christians do more charity than anybody else in the entire world. When it comes to disaster and uh, natural disasters, Christians step up the most. The majority of the hospitals in this nation were birthed out of Christianity. The education, the majority of the education that was in this nation is birthed out of Christianity. Christianity, we do good things. When it comes to the topic of abortion, People say, well, you're going to say this, but are you going to do anything? Most adoption agencies around this nation and the world were at least started by Christians. Christians adopt more children than anybody else by a long shot. Christians are very compassionate, kind people. Did you know America funds roughly 70% of global missions around the world? It's hard to argue with what Christians do, but the world has a huge problem with what we say. But we have a responsibility to be like Jesus and not just do good works and not just say the truth. We have to say the truth and do good works, but we can't stop saying the truth. We can't be cowards. We can't let culture cut our tongue out just because they don't like what we're saying O Theophilus, in my former book, I wrote to you about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach. And we have a responsibility to continue to do the works of the gospel at the same time teaching the truth of the gospel. If you believe it, come on, somebody say amen. Jesus taught about the arrival of God's kingdom through himself. And he demonstrated God's kingdom ultimately by dying upon the cross. And one of the greatest works that Jesus ever did was not just die on the cross, because if he just died on the cross, he would have been a good man who died on the cross. Yes, Jesus did die on the cross in our place for our sins, but Jesus didn't stay dead. This is the difference of all other religions. We are unable to go to Jesus' tomb and pay our respects because he's not there. He, he, he rose from the, Jesus died, he went down to hell, he preached the gospel to everybody in hell. He then rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and the grave, triumphing over death. He took away the sting of death, rose from the dead, and then presented himself to the world. You see, the thing about Jesus dying is that it verified all his crazy claims. He was crucified for the things that he said because those who had studied, those who had been around from generation to generation, they were well informed in Torah, the old, the old scriptures. But when Jesus was right in front of their face, they called him a blasphemer and ultimately they crucified him. So if Jesus had just died, then the things that he said would have 
fallen over, but Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God and that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact there are, the dead cannot be raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. We don't serve a dead person. We serve a risen King, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Which gets us to Acts 1 verse 3. It says, O Theophilus, I taught you first all that Jesus began to do and to preach. And he gets down to verse 3. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for over a 40-day period. So he, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus didn't just rise from the dead and up to heaven and say, everyone, I'm in heaven. No, Jesus came and revealed himself over a period of 40 days. Now the book of Acts is the only place we find that Jesus was around for 40 days. But he revealed himself to over 500 people over those 40 days, the Bible tells us. He gave many convincing proofs. He sat down and ate food with them. He, he went to people and basically said, touch my body because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, but I do. And they touched him. He, he then showed them the scars in his hands and the scars in his feet. He gave many convincing proofs because contrary to popular belief, if you have a convincing proof about something, you will have more faith, the more, more substantial, a more substantial faith to hold on to. We don't have to just believe without seeing. Jesus revealed himself to tell them, I have risen from the dead. And that convincing proof of him being alive is what gave the apostles the courage to go and tell the world all about him. So Jesus revealed himself as a resurrected king to over 500 people. And then it says he taught them about the depths of the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have insight into those extra teachings that happened over those 40 days, but I suggest that that was the time where they got the divine revelation to give us the scriptures, to understand the mysteries of the oracles of the Word of God as he spent 40 days giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. That then leads us to the point where uh, Jesus would have given his 11 disciples the Great Commission. This is the point where he's about to ascend to heaven. It's where he would have gave the Great Commission in Matthew and the Great Commission in the book of Mark. It's where he would have 
sat down and said, guys, these are my final words before I go. This conversation, I'm assuming, would have been exciting, emotional, all in one thing, because they're realizing that he's about to go, but the physical Jesus is about to give his final words to his now 11 apostles about what he wants them to do. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 4, this is in that 40 days. He says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, this commission. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. The gift, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit, Luke 3.16. John the Baptist, a crazy man with dreadlocks who ate locusts and wore camel fur and all sorts of weird things. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but the one is more powerful than I is coming of whom I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandals, I will baptize you, and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Or in Luke, he speaks about it like this, and behold, I'm sending out what was promised by my Father uh, upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He says, he tells us in On this occasion, Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift which my Father had promised. Verse 5 says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. You will be immersed. You will be clothed with the Holy Spirit. Now over the next few weeks together, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a big experience of understanding who the Holy Spirit is. But he says, you will be clothed, empowered, immersed, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? We don't have time to venture into all of this today, but his apostles essentially, because of the times, because of the reactivation of the Holy Spirit, were thinking that Jesus might be saying there's going to be a return to Israel's political power, that, they, uh, they, that, that they hit their, the political future is going to be bright, that they might be hoping for what's called a political theocracy. And so they were excited for this potential thing. So they asked, is this what you're talking about? And in verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus kindly redirects their questions. He's like, stop thinking with your earthly mind. He's like, stop thinking about these things. So he says, that's not up to you. Don't worry about it. It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set in his own authority because there are more important things, a matter of the soul that we need to deal with. And he reminded them not to worry about the things that God has set in his own authority and in his own timing. There's going to be a few times the book of Acts leads us to a point of thinking about end times, thinking about what's called our eschatology, which is the theology of the last days. But Jesus is saying, just don't worry about the things that are in His hands, and yet so many people spend so much time thinking about the things that God has set in His own authority. 
we think about when is this going to happen? When is the end of time going to come? And Jesus will tell you, things are crazy in America, but don't worry about it because you can't do anything about it. You will know potentially the times that we're in, but you're never going to know when it's going to happen. And so there's a greater mission at hand, and it's not worrying about what God has set in His own authority, in His own timing. He's about to tell you there's a greater mission for you. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Judea, uh, sorry, Jerusalem is speaking of how immediate world. Jerusalem is saying, you will receive power to be my witness in your immediate world, in your f- to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors. He says, Jerusalem and Judea, we're going to spread out. And then to Samaria, which is the greater part of the region, and even cross-cultural and racial barriers because the Samaritans and the Jews didn't always get along. He's saying, you're going to go be a witness to the people you don't even agree with. If you're a Republican, you're going to go and be a witness to the Democrats. And if you're a Democrat, you're going to go and be a witness to the Republicans. You're going to cross cultural, political issues, places of division, because the gospel is greater than the things of this earth. You will receive power to be a witness, and then to the ends of the earth. I read one commentary about this, and it was such an amazing picture, that to them the ends of the earth was Rome. And you've all heard this statement that all roads lead to Rome, right? The amazing thing about all roads leading to Rome is that if we can get the gospel in Rome, then we realize that if all roads lead to Rome, then all roads to the rest of the world lead out of Rome. Becomes an epicenter like Nashville is for the United States of America. We're in the middle. We can get to everywhere within a couple of hours. Who knows if we can turn this city upside down with the gospel. We can affect this nation with the purity and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You shall receive power. Verse 8 is essentially the thematic statement of the entire book of Acts, that we are called to be clothed with power to be a witness of Jesus. There are so many things about the Holy Spirit that we get talked about. There are amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's empowerments of the Holy Spirit. We get to eventually talking about speaking in tongues. And I don't know everybody's background when it comes to speaking in tongues, which we would consider a heavenly language that if you don't know what tongues in, if we did it, you'd think we're crazy people. We're going to get there, and there are all sorts of conversations about this thing, but the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon His people is to be a witness of who Jesus is. Is you receive power for a purpose, and that purpose is to be a witness of Jesus. Witness is someone who is able to give a reliable testimony of something. You will receive power to be a witness. We're empowered to be a witness of the resurrected King. 
It says you will receive power. You'll be clothed in power. The word power comes from the Greek word dynamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. So you will be clothed, empowered, immersed with miraculous, explosive, strengthening power to be an effective witness. You will receive a supernatural gift that will break beyond your personality, to break beyond your fears. You will receive supernatural, miraculous power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, this is not just a tingly feeling you might get. The Holy Spirit is so much more than a tingly feeling. The Holy Spirit is so much more than just a couple of tears in worship. The Holy Spirit, although these are great experiences we can have, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. If you don't know what the Trinity is, it's the Godhead. Christians believe that God is one God, three distinct persons. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each of them is fully God, yet there is only one God. No one in the Trinity is more important than the other, but they do have distinct attributes and responsibilities with God the Father being the greater of equals. We understand that this is a Christian theology. This is a deep theology. And we need to understand this, that it's one of those marvelous, miraculous mysteries that are going to be pretty difficult to fully grasp in our infinite, in our, in our finite minds. A great example someone gave once is like your little dishwashing tablet. Ever seen those things? There's normally three parts in them. The one I used to have in Australia was red, white, and blue. America. Or we're washed white as snow through the red blood of Jesus. Amen. And the blue spirit of the Holy Ghost. Anyway, we're really over-spiritualizing. But this is one tablet with three parts that to do its job fully needs to do its responsibilities, but it's one tablet with three parts. That's a very crass example of the Trinity, but it kind of makes sense. One tablet, three distinct parts to do the purpose of what it was called to do. So when, you, when, when the Bible says you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, God, the one God, is clothing you with the third part of who He is. The Holy Spirit of God comes upon you and is in you for the purpose of being a witness to the world. You will receive power when God puts His Spirit inside of you and upon you. To be a witness to the world of the resurrected King, Jesus. To be a witness is to bring the message that is a marvel of simplicity. That is Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. That he died on the cross in our place for our sins. That he didn't stay dead, but he rose again from the grave. That he's now exalted and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible says he's interceding, he's praying on our behalf. And that he calls us to believe in him 
And in doing so, we put our trust in him and receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life forevermore. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, the witness of our life is that Jesus saves our souls. And that he didn't just die for our sins, but he rose again on the third day, destroying sin, death, and the grave. And this is the greatest news of all. And we have a responsibility to tell the world about it. You have a responsibility to your neighbor. You have a responsibility to your friends on social media. You have a responsibility to tell those whom God places in your path all about the saving power of Jesus, because we don't just receive the Holy Spirit for a better day. We receive the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being a witness. And witness can also be linked with the word martyr, somebody who's willing to lose their life for the sake of somebody else that needs to know the truth. You watch that video at the begin, beginning of today's service. 3.2 billion-ish people have never heard the gospel, and some of them are in this nation. They might have heard about Jesus, but they've never heard the gospel. They've never heard about a God who's not distant and all about rules and regulations, but a God who came from heaven to earth and gave his life for them that they could receive the gracious gift of salvation to take it wherever we go. I've been to the far corners of the earth. They need the gospel. And the gospel needs to be able to translate from culture to culture. Otherwise, it's a gospel of cultural relevance rather than a gospel of truth that will change a human heart. It's amazing you'll see through the book of Acts that the first portion of Acts goes through Judea and then it moves, so Jerusalem, then into Judea and then to the Samaria and then it moves on to the finishes in Paul preaching the gospel freely in Rome. We have a responsibility. As we work through, you need to understand there are, there are movements in America called Acts 29. The reason they call it Acts 29 is because we are the continuation of the church of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts finishes in chapter 28, but we are the 29th chapter being written out until the end of days when Jesus comes. We need to see lost people saved. We need to see sick people healed. We need to see broken people restored. We need to see the orphans and the widows find a family. We need to see lost sons and daughters reconciled back to God the Father. The reason we do all of this is to outwork the commission and the mission of Jesus Christ to take him to the world. The Holy Spirit has been so overcomplicated, but it needs to be simplified to its purity. And that is we are given divine, miraculous power to be a witness of the resurrected King Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verses 9. After, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Often throughout the scripture, the presence of God is represented by a heavenly cloud. This was a, not a normal cloud. This was a divine, some call it the Shekinah glory of God. That as Jesus ascended, now this is important because Jesus ascended in his, it was, it was his visible 
ascension in a physical body. Fully God and fully man. It says that he was taken up from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Then suddenly, two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them, saying, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky like that's not a strange thing? That someone is floating. A human is now floating. Now, I don't see that every day. These angels are like, hey, we see this all the time. Why are you even looking? He says, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. The miracle of the incarnation of Christ or that God became flesh is that he will remain this way, fully God and fully man for eternity. And he will return in the exact same way that we saw him go. Regardless of your eschatology, which is your end times theology, because there's a whole array of different opinions out there about how the end of days is going to happen. What everybody agrees on is that Jesus, in the same way that they saw him go, he will come back again. But this time he's coming back with robes of white, with fire in his eyes, with a sword in his hand. And we will then gather to him and for all eternity we will sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. He is a resurrected king. He will sit forever as we worship him, as we commune with the fellow believers. Because he's not a dead king. We can't visit his grave and celebrate. We celebrate that he's not there. And we are witnesses of this truth to a generation that need it so badly. And understand this, the gospel is an aroma of life to some, and the Bible says it's an aroma of death to others. That means some people will receive the message that we have, and some people will reject it. They will receive it unto life eternal, and they, some will reject it into death eternal. But that doesn't stop us from doing what we're called to do because Jesus is the hope of your heart. He is the hope of your brokenness. The enemy thought that he had it done and dealt with as he killed him on the cross, but Jesus is greater than death. He is greater than every pain, every circumstance, and no matter what we walk through, no matter what we go through, if you have peace with God, friends, you can walk through a living hell and still be okay. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me, and He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. We are a part of the greatest cause in all of human history. It's the cause, it's the mission of Jesus Christ, and we need to tell the world all about Him. We're a growing church and we want to continue to grow, not for the sake of reputation, but for the sake of souls that need to be saved. We'll speak the truth because the Bible says it's the truth that will set them free. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But how will they hear if we don't preach? And how, who will preach if they're not sent? 
Well, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit resides within you, you have been endued with power for a purpose. And that purpose is to be a witness of the resurrected King, Jesus. Amen?